Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Chip Nellinger. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. If you're looking for a great solution to help your salespeople sell more stuff and close big deals, check out all the great products at AeroCRM has to offer at heyarrow.com. Also, Valley Transportation, with 33 years of hauling ag and construction equipment across the country, Valley Transportation, our goal is helping you reach yours. Chip is with Blue Reef Agri-Marketing out of Morton, Illinois, and Chip is nice enough to come on and talk about what's going on in the markets, man. So, Chip, how you been? Hey, well, I'm recovering, Casey. Yeah. I, uh, I've been uh, down on my back with COVID for about uh, 10 days here, and uh, yeah. finally got my voice back and uh, feeling about to 95%, so I'm glad to be focused on uh, something other than the COVID yeah. virus. Yeah, there's. Uh, we could spend a whole podcast talking about that, but we won't. We'll stick to the markets. So. No, no, we got to <laughs> we got to stick to the markets here. We got to stay on on script. Right on, man. All right. So there's this is this last couple of weeks here. December. December is usually a fairly quiet month. You know, um, the last report came out. No, no big stunner there. In typical report fashion, it was kind of a. Kind of a yawner, not not much information came out of that. But you take a look at the markets over the last two and two or three weeks, actually, and there's been a tremendous amount of volatility where you're having, you know, soybeans, for example, you might have 10, 12, you know, 15 cent swings day over day. And, and you know, you start looking at they settle right back to where they started typically. But for the most part, you're seeing this large amount of volatility. I guess as you look at that, Chip, what's what do you think some of the driving factors in that right now? Yeah, yeah, I think that uh, you got still a lot of outside market volatility happening as well. Uh, and today, in fact, um, you know, we're supposed to have this uh, Federal Reserve meeting right. and learn a little bit more about how fast they're going to uh, taper and the speed uh, at which they're going to raise interest rates. And I think some of the uh, you know inflation data has indicated that it's continuing to come in uh, hotter than expected, and and that it's really kind of going to tip the the hand, force the hand of the Federal Reserve. So I think the outside markets are part of this. Um, and you hit the nail on the head. We've had some really erratic moves, especially in this bean market, 
you know, you don't know one way, uh, one day or the other if it's going to be up 20 or down 20. <clears throat> Some of that is weather-related as well. It's getting a little bit on the dry side in portions of uh, southern Brazil, northern Argentina. Over the weekend, there were a few pop-up showers um, scattered in Argentina especially uh, that weren't really in the forecast. Um, you know, nothing like a two-inch, uh, you know, big drought buster or anything, but there were enough scattered rains around it wasn't in the market, and it kind of hit the bean market early in the week. And then, you know, we saw those beans recover, um, you know, almost all of what they lost uh, the previous day yesterday. So uh, some of this is weather. We're, we're very definitely in a weather market. Uh, La Nina is still uh, very much in force in the southern hemisphere, and it's starting to uh, dry out portions, uh, some, some really good growing areas of uh, that southern Brazil, northern Argentina uh, growing area, and that's got the market's attention. So, you know, as the forecast flip-flops, we're, we're used to this in, you know, the, the July-August time frame here. Uh, it's just, you know, now the, the our winter is here, and it's getting colder. You wouldn't expect uh, that we're in a, a weather market, and, and, you know, that's really kind of what uh, we see ourselves in right now in the case of corn and beans. So <clears throat> I kind of got those... Uh, competing opposing forces, what's going to happen in the financial markets and, and, you know, interest rates and crude oil, the energy markets and, and the dollar. And, and a lot of that's going to be driven by this Federal Reserve meeting this week. And then on the other hand, um, you know, all this weather situation that's happening uh, in, in South America, they, uh, you know, for the most part, um, you know, I'd say two thirds or more of, of Brazil looks to be in really good shape. Um, but in a La Nina year, it's, it seems to always be those southern uh, areas of Brazil and, and um, you know, more of an Argentina situation. And there's still some very productive, uh, high-yielding areas that are, um, you know, trending well below average precip over the last, say, three weeks, four weeks. And, and now they're starting to maybe battle uh, some heat as well. So, you know, stay tuned, I guess, and, and expect some additional volatility here as you get into... Next week and the week following Christmas and New Year's, um, you know, volume typically shrinks. And, you know, if you throw in some additional weather uncertainty, you could really add to the volatility going into the uh, holiday period here the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it looks like it's shaping up that way. One of the, you know, let's talk about wheat for a minute. So wheat is, uh, it's had its bumps along the way here the last couple of weeks, but it is very, it's performed very well. Um, you look at, at where it's at in the marketplace. Um, usually when corn and beans are down, you know, 10, 10 to 15, you know, wheat's up 8 to 10. So it's a, it, it, there's, there's a lot of upward mobility right there, it looks like in wheat. And you're seeing some stuff come out of China, or China, out of Russia right now, where they're talking about reducing their, you know, their export quota. And, you know, you got things with, you know, a lot of news coming out of Russia, really, I guess, all around when it comes to wheat, whether it's the stuff they're doing with Egypt or, uh, this quota stuff they're talking about now, and you start looking at, you know, the, the export taxes and stuff they have on there keep going up. So I guess as you look at wheat right now, what are you paying attention to there, and, and what are your kind of what are some of the driving factors you're kind of watching as we head into this new year? Yeah, you know, wheat was uh, kind of the first one, uh, maybe the second one after soy oil, <coughs> to have uh, you know the kind of this extended bull run, and and it was. Uh, you know, we pushed Chicago wheat futures, uh, you know, almost to the door of $9. Um, you know, Kansas City wheat was strong. You had 
10 plus year highs in Minneapolis weed. And, and you mentioned a lot of the stuff, um, you know, going on there with obviously starting with the drought uh, here in the Northern Plains and Canadian prairies, uh, you know, really hurting spring wheat production. Uh, our, our wheat acreage uh, was lower. Uh, some of the world problems. <clears throat> and I think the market did a good job over the last, you know, say summer time frame into early winter <clears throat> of digesting that bullishness. And we've had a pretty healthy correction uh, to the downside here. You know, we're, uh, you know, essentially a dollar off the highs in, in Chicago wheat futures. Uh, but still, in, you know, the big picture, still at a pretty large uptrend. We haven't really violated any of the major retracement levels, um, you know, going clear back to summer. Um, and so you could still argue that we're still in a longer-term uptrend, uh, just, you know, in a corrective phase of that. And, and this could easily play out, especially as you get into winter and spring, to see, um, you know, how these uh, these other, you know, northern hemisphere countries, the Black Sea area and Russia, how their crop's going to come out of winter. <clears throat> if you look at a, uh, a weather forecast here, the Central Plains, I mean, man, it doesn't look like winter. It looks more like a summer pattern. Uh, you know, near record temperatures. They have they're going to have some high winds coming. Uh, not the best conditions uh, for uh, wheat production in the plains. And and so, you know, this just may be kind of the normal ebb and flow of the wheat market, where we're in a corrective phase right now, a buck off the highs. As long as recent lows, uh, you know, from earlier this week and late last week, can kind of hold in the wheat market, it's it's acceptable this correction that we've seen and. You know, potentially by uh, late winter, you're back up retesting the highs, and that's going to depend a lot on, uh, you know, some of the actions in, in Russia, how much they're going to uh, export, how high their export taxes are going to go. There's actually been some talk here that, um, you know, Russia may actually clamp down a little more. They, they did some of those actions to try to curb food inflation and flour inflation domestically in Russia, and, and it hasn't helped a lot yet, uh, unfortunately. They're domestic prices continue to go up so there's talk that they may even clamp down harder uh, as far as um, you know what they allow out of that country and and so it just you know it's a it's a very dynamic situation we've got going um i, I think for the time being the spotlight has turned over now to corn and beans like we talked about before because of the weather situation in south america and and what that might mean to uh, production in the southern hemisphere, uh, you know, I think the wheat and the corn market maybe are taking over center stage, and, and or I should say the corn and the bean market, and the wheat market's taking more of a back seat right now until we get a little deeper, uh, you know, closer to, to spring to kind of see how things are going to progress out of winter, how much winter kill there's been, and uh, what the production prospects look like in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. All right, let's talk about soybean crush. So there's been a, just the last couple months just been a bunch of soybeans go through uh through the crush process and uh looks like november is going to be a record month one of the if everything comes out like they say uh like they have predicted that that soybean or november will be the fifth largest month of of crush uh totals ever so what's the what's some of the driving factors behind the the large amount of soybean crush that we see right now is it a feed related thing or yeah well I think it's I think it's uh, a multifaceted. I think at the heart of it, it's profitability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you essentially are, are have recently been um, in a right at record profitability 
for soy crushers, and you know the same can be said about uh, ethanol margins as well. So yeah, we do have the uh, the monthly crush report out uh, later this morning. Uh, you mentioned it's supposed to be up in the 181, 182 million bushel um, figure for uh, the previous month's monthly crush. <clears throat> I was thinking about this uh, earlier. Uh, honestly, uh, our corn and bean markets are, are getting uh, to be more and more tied to the energy markets. And, um, you know, I think a lot of what's driving this is, uh, you know, soy oil from a biodiesel standpoint. So yes, uh, you know, there's obviously some feed uh, issue, um, with that from, you know, the, the meal standpoint, uh, a large part of that here over the last year also has been, uh, the vegetable oil aspect of it with, all the drought situation and, you know, uh, palm oil problem, uh, production problems in, in uh, you know, parts of Asia, uh, canola, soy oil problems because of the drought in the northern plains and the Canadian prairies. And so soy oil led some of that. I think at the heart of it, though, um, we're really transitioning more and more to uh, the energy side of the equation. We've got biodiesel, got a much bigger part of this. And, you know, it looks like that's uh, at least for the short run. The next few years, uh, the way this current administration wants things to push is towards that, you know, the, the, the greener side of the equation. Uh, let's put more biodiesel out there, uh, uh, more ethanol. You know, there's talk about expanding this into, uh, you know, more diesel, you know, uh, the airline industry and, and the trucking industry. And um, I think that's just something that's you know obviously going to be good additional demand for our corn and beans and continue to keep, um, you know, that, that demand high. There's been so much focus on, is China going to buy? Is China going to buy? And, you know, that is an important part of it. But as we expand our domestic usage, uh, you know, through the crush, through biodiesel, through more ethanol, and that expansion is slow, but it's been happening, uh, that's, you know, really good, strong demand that we're going to, you know, be able to kind of offset a little bit, uh, maybe some of the exports that, ebb and flow with, you know, how big South America's crop is and, uh, you know, whether China likes us this week or not and, and whether they're patting us on the back, right. buying a little bit uh, of our products here. Yeah, that's a uh, good point there. Um, last but not least, let's talk about China. Okay, I can't you can't do this podcast without talking about China for at least a little bit. So China released a news little blurb last night or this week, earlier this week anyway, talking about they're going to add a uh, tariff on all pork imports in 2022. Um, I guess, what's your thoughts there? Is this, obviously, they, they, they keep having these reports out about, obviously, you know, their, their pork production is, is, you know, off the charts, but they're still buying hogs from us as fast as they can. Is this a uh, Chinese ploy to drive down the price a little bit from the jump back in the market, or do you really believe that they're... Um, Pork production is back online at, at, at the level they need it to be at. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and the way I always uh, answer this, and I think that the path you have to take on stuff like this is <clears throat> you have to watch what they do, not what they say. Right. I have no idea, and there's no one that does, right. um, what that means or, or what that might mean. Um, I, it's just been so back and forth and and you know they're uh, experts at uh, manipulating markets right they they have to because they're not an open 
right. capitalistic economy. They're right. a controlled communist economy. And so they're, you know, got their hands in 12 million different uh, aspects trying to control things. Um, I think the take home is obviously they had their problems, you know, a year and a half, two years ago with ASF. Uh, they've tried to fix that. Is it back to normal? I, I'm not sure. Are they going to fight that ongoing, um, you know, it, it, in various degrees uh, with their production kind of ebbing and flowing? It's likely. I, I think the one thing is they still haven't left our pork market. Now, they're not buying the massive, you know, 20,000, 30,000 tons a week like we were used to. But they're still there almost every week. And, and I think the thing that hasn't been talked about is they've quietly become one of our biggest beef buyers as well. And they're right. there every single week in beef. You know, it used to be the talk was, oh, you know, we're going to open the market up to, you know, uh, China and, and U.S. beef. And, it, you know, it just took forever. And now we did that. And it's just like, it's almost like it's under the radar. But they've quietly... 2,000, 3,000 tons every week, uh, 4,000 tons in, in taking U.S. beef. And as that adds up over the big picture in many, many weeks, they quietly become one of our biggest exporters, um, or I should say one of, the, one of the biggest importers of U.S. beef. And I think it's going to stay that way on pork, too. I don't think it's going to be the massive amounts that we've seen. But so far, um, in spite of what they have said, they continue to be there in, in small amounts every week for U.S. pork. So, yeah, I'm sure that's what they would like. They want to be self-sufficient. They want to have to rely on the rest of the world to feed them. Uh, because, you know, if <laughs> it's pretty well known. I think they'd like to, uh, in their opinion, take back uh, Taiwan and some sure. of the other uh, areas and islands of, uh, you know, uh, the, the Pacific there. And their policies aren't very um, uh, appealing to the rest of the world, but they have to rely so much to feed their citizens on the rest of the world. Uh, sure, they're trying all they can to get self-sufficient and everything. You know, grains, uh, proteins, you name it. They're, I don't think they're there yet. I think they want to be. So I think that the answer to your question, a long answer to your question is, you got to watch what they do. Uh, if we go for, you know, six, eight weeks, two and a half months, and they're not in our market for U.S. pork, then maybe they have done what they say. But, you know, if they struggle with high pork prices and they continue to buy U.S. pork, it's probably just, um, you know, talking. And uh, so I, I think that in the case of China, you know, you, you A, don't believe a word they say, uh you know, watch what they do, not what they say, and that will tell you the reality of what's going on on the ground. Right. Yeah, it's uh, that's kind of a lesson learned here over this whole. Uh, you know, ever since I've started this podcast, to be honest with you, just you kind of they say one thing and they put it in the news, and they're doing they drastically the opposite of what they talk about. So yeah, it's definitely do watch what they uh, watch what they do, not what they say for sure. So, well, Chip. Uh, I think that pretty well wraps it up here. What's the best way for folks to get a hold of you at uh, Blue Reef Agri Marketing? Talk about the plan they're working on, or just get some advice and some direction to get pointed in the right, right path down uh, to go start going on the right path of, of building that plan. Yeah, the best way is just call our office uh, directly, and that number is three zero nine five five zero seven two one three, and we'd love to 
chat with you about what uh, what your plan is and uh, how we might be able to help uh, improve that plan and you know more importantly help you execute uh, at the right time on that risk management plan absolutely well i am casey seymour with moving iron podcast make sure you check me out on facebook twitter and instagram also go to movingironllc.com for all information related to the moving iron podcast got a big announcement coming out for uh, the moving iron summit going to be uh announcing dates and and venues for that here uh probably this week sometime so um pay attention to that so uh chip appreciate you being on the podcast man you bet thanks for having me and uh keep uh i guess uh keep the seatbelts uh buckled firmly because it's gonna be an interesting ride here still for the next several weeks that is a very true statement so with that i'm casey seymour chip nellinger let's move some iron folks out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving on